You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author who helps empower horse people from all over the world with the skills, knowledge, and mindsets needed to create trusting partnerships with their horses. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickshiller.com. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and if you're a regular podcast listener, you've probably possibly heard the story about how the podcast came about and it was during COVID and I'm not sure... We, Robin or I aren't sure whose idea it was to do the podcast. She thinks it was my idea and I think it was her idea. So I really know, I no idea who it was. But uh, when we first talked about doing the podcast, Robin had suggested I do it like a call-in talk show. Like you have people call in and say, hey, I got this problem with my horse and this problem with my horse. And you say, well, try this and try that and have that conversation and record that. But the first episode that I did, I did it just me talking and I talked about uh, the th- you know, the changes that I'd made in probably the way I, I view the world. And, and those changes, of course, changed the way I interacted with horses. And then I guess, you know, the next few episodes are a little more along that vein. And then we had some guests and the guests were very the type of people that after you listen to them speak, you're like, whoa, I cannot look at the world the same again. And so that's how the podcast went. But recently, Robin had a really good idea because we get a lot of emails, you know, so my business is an online horse training video library. And in in a horse, in my horse training video library, there's a lot of life advice too. I use a lot of analogies to say, you know, talk about horse training and things in life. And for some reason, people seem to get it. So when they, you know, subscribe to the online video library, a lot of times they get some other benefits out of doing the work with horses you know and we get emails and like you know i'm so much better with my boss or this happened at work and i did this or i'm better with my husband or what you know whatever it is and so you know we get emails telling us about that and robin said what you should do is maybe get some of those people that email us some of those amazing stories just get them on the podcast and tell it have them have them tell you their story and so that is what we are going to do with this episode it's going to be the first one of what i hope to be a number of episodes that we're going to call subscriber stories and it's it's uh, you know it's just going to be like i outlined there people who subscribe to the videos and then amazing things that have happened either during because of or after or whatever but yeah we want to hear those stories so today <laughs> to start it off we've got a really really good one to start it off with so this week's subscriber stories is a pair of sisters from Croatia named Maida and Senka Pazman. And they're, they're twins. They're now in their early 30s, I think. But, one of the, you know, they grew up in Croatia watching Western movies on the TV and, and just loved the scenery and loved the horses and the whole thing, even though they didn't have horses. And that love eventually in life led them to where they came to America and got a job on a dude ranch and just fell in love with the whole thing and, and uh, went back to end up going back to Croatia and had the chance to start some horses and wanted to know, well, how do we start horses under saddle? So they got onto my YouTube videos and then into my, you know, my online video library, my subscription and, and things went from there. But this is not so much about them subscribing to the videos, but just the, the you know, the places that 
that being interested in horses took them and probably the the life lessons they learned along the way. But then, you know, they ended up in Namibia training horses. They, one of them went to Mexico for a while. One of them ended up in Mozambique. It's just like these girls are full-on adventurous types who just, oh, they just, just such a great example of how to, how to live your best life and how to uh, follow your passion. Maida and Senka, welcome to the Journey On podcast. Um, thanks for having us. <laughs> I'm excited to have you guys on here and hear about your, your whole story. You two are a, a pair of adventurous people. You did your show travels. Where are you guys right now? Are you in Croatia? Yes, uh, we are. Yeah, we live in the capital, which is Zagreb. Okay, perfect. Uh, let's talk about, let's go back to the beginning of this whole thing. So you guys were born, grew up in Croatia? Yeah, yes. born and raised. Yep. yep, born and raised. Um, you guys would have been alive during mm -hmm. the Bosnian conflict, wouldn't you? Um, we were. It just we were really small um, when it started. We were around five or six years old, and then when it ended officially, I think it was '96. So we were like 10, 11. So we were just small enough not to realize what is really going on, um, mm. which I. Looking back, maybe that that is actually a good thing. I don't know because I, I would imagine our parents were stressing quite a lot having two little kids and with everything, like with the war going on. I I would imagine that was quite horrible for them. Uh, was the conflict near where you guys were, or was it more on the border? Hmm. Um, it definitely went in inland, <laughs> but not where we were living. Yeah, we were we grew up. At, on the Slovenian border, which is, is like 25 is. kilometers away from Zagreb in, in a small town. So it never, they were never gotten that far, but in, in some parts it was, it was pretty bad. Yeah. So the Slovenian border, so Croatia borders Slovenia, Hungary, Serbia, and Bosnia. Is that correct? That's correct. And I, I sound very educated here, but I had to look it up on a map. And what I didn't realize is, so Croatia is across the Adriatic Sea from Italy. So it basically has the same kind of beautiful coastline that you, that you see in Italy, except it's just, you know, it's on the other side of that Adriatic Sea. And it looks, I looked up some pictures. It looks like it's absolutely beautiful. It's just as pretty as in the pictures, really. Mm. It's stunning. And there's, so many islands and each island is basically different and it's just amazing like i haven't heard anyone complain about the coast <laughs> ever <laughs> yeah the islands look amazing mm -hmm. uh let's go back let's go back to you growing up sorry um so the you guys weren't affected uh i imagine you would have been affected by the conflict not not just being on the front line, you know, you're not on the front lines, but how, how do you think that that conflict affected maybe, you know, your parents' state of mind while you're growing up? And is there any, you know, even to this day, is there still any knock-on effect? Like, is there, is there still things that um, you are facing because of that conflict? Mm, well, in a way, I would say that um, economical consequences you can you can definitely still feel today, and um, maybe even the biggest thing is that 
people moved out from some parts of the country and they never came back. So some parts of the country are basically dead. <laughs> There's just a couple of people living there and that's it. Like the whole villages are just dead. There is no one there. Um, so maybe today that would be the biggest impact the war had. Um, but it also, after the war, it took like a long time for the country to like start rebuilding the, the economy and everything. Like the unemployment rate was through the roof. Um, and as I, as I said um, about our parents, I mean, the uncertainty they were going through is just, you know, will they be able to feed the family, meaning us, <laughs> having two small kids. And um, yeah, it was, um, I guess it was a pretty stressful time to, to be alive and especially to have kids. I mean, if you don't have kids, then I guess everything is easier. But with kids, it's just like, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. And yeah, I can imagine it was not easy for them or f and, and for a lot of other people. You know, we were talking earlier and you said that your parents basically had suitcases packed and kept by the door, like ready to leave. Yeah, for time. years. <laughs> yeah, for because years. we had yeah we had sirens going off daily and um we were small so yeah part of it we were in kindergarten and then you know you hear the siren going off then you know the drill you need to line up at the door and then we all go somewhere then you know you hear another siren then the danger is over so you can come out from the like shelter or whatever it's called um so yeah we were living like that it was it was normal wow you know i imagine that would have quite an impact i know you know like people here in parts of the US and friends in Australia who live in, you know, like a fire zone, you know, like in a bushfire zone or whatever. And, you know, maybe there's a fire that's quite a ways away from you, but depending on where the wind goes, you might have to be prepared to evacuate at any time. But that, you know, that sort of, and that's got to be very stressful, but that might go on for, you know, a week or whatever that fire is burning. But then, it goes away. I just can't imagine how it would be spending several years with the prospect of having to just get in the car, grab your suitcases, get in the car and go um, all the time, you know, for, for, for years at a time. That's got to be a very stressful sort of situation. I remember um, our mom didn't have a lot of things packed. But what she had packed in the bags were some photo albums. And she says, those are, if you lose those things, you will never, you can never get those back. So she had a few photo albums packed as well. She said, if we did have to leave, we would find it very valuable in a few years. So that's kind of what it was. Um, Maida, you said that there's still an economic impact. And from what I have read here in the US, you know, there was the, the US Civil War way back when. And of course, the South lost the war, but I, and and the, the the poorest states in the United States are in the South. And from what I've read, it's it's got a lot to do with they never actually recovered fully financially and economically from the Civil War. So that was you know several hundred years ago. So I imagine, yeah, things like that um, have a huge effect. So let's get to you, you girls and your adventurous <laughs> life. So uh, you kind of have had a bit of an adventurous life through horses, I think. It's been, the horses have been the, the things that led the adventures. Uh, you guys didn't grow up with horses? 
we were 12 years old when we started writing, even though uh, the love started way earlier. <laughs> and I remember when we were little and we would just, we were like preschool, really, so we couldn't really read or anything. And we would just watch Western movies, American Western movies, and just stare at the screen. We had no clue what was the movie was about because we couldn't read and here um, all foreign movies are subtitled so you have to be able to read to understand what the movie is about and we couldn't so we would just look at the horses <laughs> and over and over we would like watch one movie repeatedly <laughs> so um, just to be able to look at horses because back then you know in the 90s not many people actually had horses that we could physically go and see so this was our best bet just to watch movies <laughs> and yeah. so the, the movie and then, is in English and it's got Croatian subtitles on it but you're too young to be able to read Croatian even though you're Croatian so you guys are just sitting there watching the horses yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome and yeah and since um so our dad would he recorded a few movies for us on the videotape so um we would have just like maybe three movies to watch. And I still remember two of them. I remember one was actually a New Zealand movie. I think it was called like Rogue Stallion or something. And another one was something about the trumpet. And it was a very old Western movie, American Western movies. <laughs> so those, are, those were our two favorite movies growing up. <laughs> and you actually got to ride a horse first when you were 12, is that right? Mm. Uh, we, uh, we rode some ponies. We went to Slovenia since it's so close. Uh, I think our parents took us, there's a castle over the border and they had little ponies. And then we got on these Shetland ponies and our parents like led us around the park. And I remember my little pony was like rearing and stuff and it was very naughty and was biting my dad's hand. So <laughs> I think that was the first experience. Um, but when we actually started riding, like learned to ride in a riding school was when we were 12. That's when we actually started riding. And it was, um, someone had a few horses nearby. They opened like a club and it was close enough for us to cycle there. So that was important. And that's how it started. <laughs> you Europeans are so blase about your castles. Oh, you went across the border because there was a castle <laughs> there and they had these ponies. I remember the first time I went to Europe, I went to, I had some clinics organized in, I think in Germany and maybe England, but there was this um, family in Austria who were pretty interested in what I did and they wanted me to come to Austria, but there wasn't enough people interested there to organize a clinic. But we said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come and I'll, I'll, I'll fly to you and I will help you for half a day, if you put me up in a hotel somewhere or whatever, I'll help you for half a day with your horses and then you show me around for half a day and we'll do that for a few days in a row. Okay, so um, so we'd, in the morning we'd, we'd do stuff for the horses and in the afternoon they'd take us places and the first morning, so I, we're, we're there where their horses are and I'm helping with their horses and I said, so what are we doing this afternoon? And uh, Helmut says, oh, we're going to go to a um, uh, 11th century castle. 11th century car that's that's cool and he said yeah if you look up on that hill up there see that big way in the distance on this hill we could i could see this big building sort of a thing and i said yeah i can see it he goes yeah that's the castle and i said wow what's it like he goes 
oh, I wouldn't know. I've never been there. <laughs> the kids have been there It's with school, but I've never school. been. It's like there is an 11th century castle within eyesight of where I live. And I've never been there, you know, like we, we have castles all the time. So that was the first Not day. Not exciting enough. The second day they took us into Vienna and we went to the Spanish writing school, which oh, was goodness. absolutely amazing. So yeah. cool. Anyway, yeah, well, so you were, you're well, Europeans and your castles are... Yeah, it's a bit, It's you know, you kind of take for granted whatever you grew up with, you know, in Australia it's kangaroos and in America it's beautiful scenery or whatever, you know, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so you went, you started going to a writing school and then, uh, I was going to ask, are you two twins? Oh, we are, yeah, we are twins. Hmm. So you, same age? Same age, I'm 10 minutes okay. older. You're 10 minutes older. Okay. You get, you get to play <laughs> that I'm 10 minutes older card. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So you start writing in a writing school. Now, what I've got in my little notes here is that eventually in 2011, you guys went to a dude ranch in Wyoming for four months. How did you, how'd you get to, from Croatia to a, I mean, I know you flew on a plane, but, but what was the, <laughs> the, um, you know, if you think about you guys are in Croatia and it's not a wealthy country, so saving up enough money to go to America for four months and have plane tickets and all that, what, how did you guys go about that? Um, well, the idea came from our neighbor. He's like eight years older than us. And there is a program that's called CCUSA, Work and Travel. And if you're a student, you can apply for a J-1 it's a J-1 visa. I still remember that. It's a student working visa. And you can go to the States, you can work for four months, and you can actually stay for six. Um, so he gave us the idea that that's possible. So he went over like years before us. But I knew I, I cannot graduate from the university without doing this because that, that's my only chance to actually be like a real cowgirl. Um, so I decided it was during yeah, in, in the in the winter time, it was 2010 to 2011, and I was like, okay, this is my year. Um, I think I was at my fifth year at the university. I was like, okay, this is my year. It's like now or never. And I started researching because I didn't know that there is like three types of ranges. There is like working cattle range. There is a dude range. There is um guest range. You know, they all like differ in a way. Okay, dude and guest maybe not that much, but I mean working cattle. So pretty soon I realized, okay, they'll never hire me as a, like a proper hand at a working cattle ranch. So I was like, okay, maybe I should just focus on um, guest and dude ranches. And eventually, um, it was also a bit of a problem because in the States, they all, they're all asking for references, which I didn't really have. Um, so eventually, there was a ranch that was like, yeah, we're going to hire you as a housekeeper. I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be a wrangler this year, but... You know, I'm, I really want to go over. So yes, housekeeping is fine. I'm going to be a housekeeper. Um, so I also have to add here um, when it comes to cost, um, our parents are actually doing quite okay. <laughs> so they also helped and yeah. Oh, that's, so that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I applied to the program. I got the job. Uh, I bought a plane ticket and I went to Wyoming. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> you went was, on your own the first time? Yeah, 2011, it was just okay. me. Yeah. And I had the time of the my life. Year. Yeah, 2012, we went back to the same place together because um, 
as soon as I arrived, I was like, I, no, I need to share this with Senka because this is, this is us. We need to do this together because it's just the scenery was, I mean, you can imagine how Wyoming looked. I mean, you've probably been more than once. I mean, Wyoming is just like the place to be if you want to experience the West. Um, you know, what's funny is I haven't been to Wyoming and I only just oh. got to Montana for the first time this year and it was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Stunning. the scenery is, is, is it. Um, so I was housekeeping for a couple of months and then at the end of the season, but I was riding horses. Um, and then at the end of the season, um, I guess like school starts earlier in the States than it does here. So the college kids all left at the end of August, I think. I think I'm getting this right. And uh, they were out of Wranglers. So uh, the manager came came up to me and he was like, oh, okay, um, we are out of Wranglers. So do you maybe want to take a ride out? I was like, are you kidding me? I'm dying. Like, yes, please. <laughs> um, so I actually started taking rides out the first year. And then um, in 2012, we applied to the program again. And I actually came back as a head wrangler because they wanted to hire me as like the head of wranglers, which was quite a funny experience because there is like a little like, girl from Europe bossing cowboys around. It's like, yeah, I was not really bossing them, but yeah, some of them were not taking it well. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then I graduated and I couldn't go anymore. And then in 2013, Senka went by herself again, but to a different ranch in Wyoming also. Yeah. And how was yeah, that, Senka? That was, um, that was probably the best summer I've ever had, I would say. Because um, <laughs> we got to do a bit of a different things. This was This ranch actually had cattle and we would get up every morning and we had to wrangle, wrangle like... 200 horses back into the corral and that was the most fun you can have on a horse is chase other horses honestly and these horses just you know how I mean those are old ranch horses or maybe not even old ranch horses super broke to ride you're just there for the ride you're having the most the best experience super sure-footed they were running like over the rocks and I remember the first morning we went and I saw like the terrain and I was like oh my god like he's gonna trip I'm gonna fall no one will ever find me again like I'm gonna like bust my head open it's gonna be in <laughs> but it never happened not once and it was so fun it was so fun and the scenery I guess was maybe it was different than the first year um but there were so many rides you could do and it was just incredibly fun I, I had no clue you could do all these things on a horse and because here we you know it's all like mm, you have to be careful it has to be you know this humidity Prim and proper and, and 22 degrees yeah and like (laughs) always flat terrain always you know um and and in america they use horses instead of vehicles basically they go with horses where vehicles can't go and it's a whole different experience uh it was it was awesome awesome year i also met um people that year that i kept in contact with and this year one of the girls invited me to america to be her maid of honor at the wedding so i was in america this year (laughs) for three months oh really um yeah, so it was lifelong friendships, really. It was it was amazing. I loved it. Oh, wow. It. Where was the wedding held? In Nashville. In Nashville. So you get to go to Nashville, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I went oh, this year. I went to Michigan, to Florida, to Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So you, it was a crazy year. You've been all over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so the, the story I've got here is 
So you guys went back to Croatia and then somehow you met a man with 60 horses in his pasture who all needed to be started. But yeah, through a friend, we actually met a guy who owns a dairy farm in the middle of the country where it's very remote. And he, just because he loves horses, he's got 60 of them and they're just sitting in the pasture. They're having pretty good lives. So they're just in a herd living their life, really. And he's really into Western riding and quarter horses. So he bought a few quarter horses for himself. <clears throat> and he needed some people to... Like he needed someone to start the whole thing. He also had a vision of like starting like a tourist rides, but first he needed the horses to put the tourists on. <laughs> and since we were in America, he thought that was a great idea. And we were like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then we saw these horses and then we were like, we have no clue how to start a horse. I mean, growing up, we started horses, but it was just like we knew that was not how it's supposed to be done and if you want to do it properly that's not how you do it <laughs> and so since we figured we really have no clue what we're doing we got on the internet and we started googling and that's how we found a Warwick Schiller from Australia <laughs> so I think you had like 12 videos on YouTube then oh really so more this is 15 this more is than like that. 2000 this is 11 12, or 12 isn't it? 12 yeah. it was winter this was 2000 yeah yeah winter and then 2012. yeah uh, i and think you said when actually... you emailed me that you had you were watching the the starting a warm blood stay and under that's the first Black video Black. that yeah because we googled like how to start a horse and then that video came up you know what that horse was <laughs> interesting um he was kind of half wild when when I first started messing with him, but ended mm -hmm. up being really, really good. But what was interesting with him was I got him really, really good at the groundwork. Really good. And then I worked on all the saddling process. It took me a month of working with him every day to get him to where he could do the groundwork as good with the saddle on as he did with the saddle off. And then, you know, like the first rides and the first rides outside and everything looked like he was a broke horse sort of thing and people tend to think that like oh you might you must be good if you can get a horse to do that but it's not that the the good that the talent is actually just being particular about the details and the details in that the big details mm -hmm. in that was i had him being a certain way in the groundwork like his, his groundwork was at a certain level but after i went through all the process of introducing the saddle his groundwork was not the same after I introduce the saddle, which means the saddle is causing him some concern. And so if you don't get that bit sorted out before you start riding them, now the saddle's causing them concern, and now the human on my back is causing me even concern, more concern, and then you end up with a horse that's tough or hard or likes to buck or bolt or any of those things, you know what I mean? But I don't, I, and it's not like it normally takes a month to get him good, as good with the saddle as it does without the saddle, but he was really, really weird about that. and. You know, the, the riding videos probably looked like they were easy, but the reason they were easy is because I didn't go to the next step until the previous step was was really good. And I think that's, you know, the, the skill there is not a skill. It's just it's just having patience and and being particular about things. 
sorry to interrupt you there, but I just want, I just, you know, if anybody's ever watched any of those videos of me with that riding that, especially the first ride outside on him when I first rode him out in the big arena, I walked Trot and Canted in a rope halter on a loose rein and he just, you know, his cadence is when he canters, but dump, but dump, but dump, but dump, but dump. He's not rushing around here and there, but, and it looked like, oh, he's either a really easy horse or <laughs> you're really talented. And it's neither of those. It's just taking your time and making sure that the previous thing is good before you go to the next thing. Sorry to interrupt. You can continue now. <laughs> no, no, but, but sorry, Senka. Um, no, but there is a video also of you with that horse. And I think the title of the video is like how to put a saddle on a horse or something like that. And then he's just standing there with his head to the ground and you come, you throw the saddle pad on him, you throw the saddle. And you said, this is how you saddle a horse. And then you actually go into telling this story that you just just told oh, okay. about yeah. how difficult it was and actually how long it took that horse to be this good with the, with basically saddling. But what I was going to say, what got us all thrilled was not the riding videos even, even yeah. the groundwork, because I know you have him in the round pen and he's running around and you just look at him like this and he stops. And we were like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what? Yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> it looked like magic. It was crazy. And then I think then we decided, okay, we need to subscribe. We need to like take this seriously. And we did. And then I remember we went through like literally every single grounded video you have. And we like took notes. This is where you put your hand. You swing with, I don't know, whatever hand, the rope. It's this far from the horse. Like I, I have notes. I still have them today. There's like a pile of papers, pretty big. And um, then we studied it like bookworms before so, we actually went and did it. So my question is, did it work out for you? I mean, we... <laughs> That summer, we started like five horses, and every single horse was exactly the same. And we thought we were magicians, really. <laughs> okay, like, so, so well. and when, when I said, did that work out for you? That's not, I want you to tell me how good my videos are. What I was going to say was, so I did a clinic in Ohio years ago, and there was a girl there from Croatia. She was a show jumper from Croatia. And, oh. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're chatting, and at lunchtime, she comes up, and she says... Um, and I've told this story before, so I'm going to tell it the same way I normally tell it. So don't pick on my Croatian accent, okay? But she says, how do you make any money off your subscription, your video? Only twenty nine ninety five a month. And I said, yeah. She goes, well, I pay the twenty nine ninety five, dollars And in one month, I watch all the videos. And I said, and I'm, I, was being, I was kidding. And I said, well, you mustn't have slept much because, and this was probably five years ago but so right now there's probably six uh probably about 400 hours four or 500 hours of real-time footage on there there was probably 250 hours of footage on there at the time and so i'm joking and i said oh you mustn't have slept much and the her husband looks at me and goes no this month she does not sleep much and i said you mean to tell me you watched every video on there in a month and she said, yes. And I said, and I said, because she was saying, how do you make any money only charging twenty nine ninety five for the month? And I said, I know people have been subscribing for a year and haven't seen half the videos, you know what I mean? And I said, how do you, she says, oh, and I, so we get talking and she says, I'm a show jumper from Croatia. She says, I have spent the hundreds of thousands of dollars on the, on the lessons 
and I get more from your $29.95 and I have that from the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted because no one gets that much, not, well, not no one, but most people don't get that much um, information out of it because they can't take that much information in. And we get talking and it turns out she has a PhD in astrophysics and... <laughs> Maybe she had two PhDs. One was in astrophysics and one was in molecular biology. No, no, it was quantum. I think she was quantum physics. She had a, degree, a PhD in quantum physics and, and maybe another PhD in molecular biology or something like that. And her husband has a PhD in astrophysics and a master's in something else. But this is someone who can take <laughs> in vast amounts of information like she could sit there and watch every video for a month and take it in, you know what I mean? And but but when she said, "Oh, I watched for a month and I, I, you know, I've got all this stuff," and I'm like, "No, you didn't." But obviously she did, and it sounds like you guys really devoted yourselves to not watch it once and then go and ride your horse for a month, but watch the video, take notes, go try it, come back, watch the video, and and like you said, paying particular attention to. Where is his hand? Where is his feet? Where is the, yeah. you know, I've had people tell me, oh, I tried that exercise, but my horse just, you know, moved way away <laughs> from me. I said, well, you know, a particular exercise. I, I tried that exercise, but when I did it, my horse ended up down the pasture somewhere. And I go, well, but what happened when he hit the end of the lead rope? <laughs> oh, oh, I did it without a halter. Like that particular exercise <laughs> needs to be done with a halter on. There are ones that are done loose, but, you know, or... Oh, just, you know, just things that tell me they didn't even see the video, you know, like, yeah. But anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> Let's hear about this. But you're, you're a very good teacher. Yeah. You're very analytical. You explain what you do. There's structural, um, there's, there's a head and a tail to your videos. There's not just like some ranting for 10 minutes that you don't even know what the person was talking about. There's lots of information. That's why, why we liked your videos so much. Because there was just, the content was very good for us. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree. <laughs> um, but you're a very good teacher. You're very good at conveying knowledge. You're very good at that, I think. And I've had a lot of professors and teachers and I think I'm qualified to say something like that. <laughs> No, thank you. Yeah, you know, so, the thing oh. I, when I was getting taught things, a lot of times I didn't understand why or what to do if it was slightly different. And I always kind of told myself, if I get to the point where I am teaching others, I want to teach them in a way that I wish I was taught in the first place. So I don't want to be just told information. I want to be told the whys, the wheres, the hows, so that if it's not exactly the same next time, um, you know, I, I got an idea of what to do with it. And I think that's probably one of my only skills. So if you think about a skill someone has, it's it's kind of in an in innate talent. I wasn't innately talented with horses at all, but the conveying of ideas in a way other people can understand, I think that's a skill I have because it's not like I sit awake at night thinking, oh, how could I figure out how to explain something? <laughs> like I'm in front of a person and a horse and a crowd of people or whatever and and stuff just comes out of me. So, yeah, if I was going to say I have a skill, that would be it. And the other, like I said, the other 
quote-unquote skill with horses is just being patient enough and just being particular about taking care of the little things. So you guys, we don't want to talk about the videos too much, so you guys got, <laughs> you know, quite a bit of information out of the videos. You started five horses <laughs> and they all turned out pretty easy. Easy. So, so what I was going to say, oh, what sorry. was great that there was the there was two of us. So like uh, you said, this guy had a horse just doing stuff without the lead rope or whatever. We could correct each other. We were like, no, 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 this is not. You were too close to the horse or whatever, because there was no mirrors. But we were watching each other doing things. So that was great. We could correct each other. Um, that's that's the thing with the like with vi when you watch enough videos, you know what it should look like. Yeah. But from a first-person mm -hmm. perspective, you might think you are doing a thing a certain way or you're a certain distance from the horse or your lead rope's a certain length or your feet are doing a certain thing, but they're not. And I always tell people, you know, like I think I've actually got a video on the subscription now, like how to get the most out of the videos. And it says, watch the video, go out and try the thing, and then when you try the thing, I guarantee you something's going to happen that wasn't in the video. And you're going to go, oh, God, I don't know what to do with this thing. But if you go back and watch the video again, I did actually say if this happens, but it just, you didn't take it in because it hasn't happened to you. And I tell people, watch the video, do some work, watch the video, do the work, watch the video, do the work. And when you think you can't get any more out of the video, then set your phone up and video yourself mm -hmm. doing it and then watch it. Because by this point in time, you've seen the videos enough to where you uh, you know what it should look like. But then you watch yourself do it. You're like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. So it was great having the two of you to bounce ideas off each other. Yeah. Well, the yeah. downside of the whole thing was that we thought we got really good. Because the horses <laughs> were so easy. <laughs> like we rode them in rope halter after like from the first ride. We thought we got this, you know. So, <laughs> And the big idea we had was to just start a tourist horse operation. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to start the horses have the people come, take them out, whatever. And it didn't work out with this this guy in Croatia. And so we started thinking how, how like, what to do because staying in Croatia wasn't really an option. And then plus I, we also wanted to I was googling. We wanted to be cowgirls. We wanted to experience that lifestyle after uh, spending some time on the ranch in in the states. We really wanted to, you know, live on the ranch and just ride horses or whatever, work with horses every day, all day. And we were then just trying to figure out how exactly do we go about this predicament. <laughs> you know, the thing about this podcast is I have people on here who have um, lived amazing lives and, you know, I like to get them to share their story and, and maybe inspire other people. And... Senka, you just said staying in Croatia wasn't an option. It was an option if you wanted to not follow your passion. It wasn't like you're getting kicked out of Croatia. I just wanted to point that out that <laughs> some people might might have let that not missed that. But when Senka said staying in Croatia wasn't an option, the bit she didn't say was if I'm going to follow my dreams and my passion if i'm not just going to just get up in the morning go to work trudge home eat sleep you know so i just <laughs> wanted to point that out so that, and that's why i've got you guys on here because the story you're about to tell me is going <laughs> to be amazing this this next part 
So, yeah, so staying in, in Croatia wasn't an option and you couldn't do that thing in Croatia. So what happened next? The thing is, I found a job at, at the meantime, in the meantime, and um, just an office job. Um, and I was like going to work every day to the office and all of that. But I was dreaming of this ranch life. And then Senka didn't have a job. So we were like, okay, you don't have a job. So maybe we can just like send you around the world to see if you can find us a place where we can move. Um, so Senka actually went to Mexico and she stayed there for five months. She also lived on the ranch um, with Mexican vaqueros. And I think th there is a bit that there is also super interesting. I think Senka should also share that. I think Senka should really share her experience <laughs> yeah. in Mexico, living on the ranch with the vaqueros. Yeah, um, but it was it was half a guest ranch, so we had we had tourists sometimes, but most of the time there was no tourists, and it was just us and the Mexican cowboys that only spoke Spanish, and not even Spanish; they only spoke their dialect of Spanish. <laughs> Where in Mexico was it? It was right under Arizona. It was it's Sonora. Oh, okay, yeah. and it's. It's Sonora, Sonora Desert yep. as well. The scenery is breathtaking. Like, I could not get enough of the scenery. It's, oh my God, it's crazy. It looks like a Western um, movie, doesn't it? It, it looks like <laughs> better than a Western movie. It was insane. Plus, okay, anyway. Um, but the Cowboys, <laughs> um, yeah, they're, oh my gosh. Their culture is a bit different than what I'm used to. And um, so... I wouldn't say they looked down on me, but maybe they did a little bit because I'm a blonde girl from Europe, you know. Um, but even though I begged them like to take me, chase the cows around and whatnot, but sometimes they just wouldn't, you know. And the thing was, there was a mare there that bucked off the main cowboy. And these guys are like super legit. They don't just fall off. Like they never, like I saw them roping, they would never miss ever. Like they're legit. This is, this is what they do. So when right. they get bucked off, it's a big deal. And so he never wanted to touch the mare again. And it was this super cute little mare. And I was like, and since I thought I got it all figured out <laughs> just by starting five horses, <laughs> I was like, I'll fix your horse, you know. <laughs> and and I was like, I'll ride her in two weeks. And they laughed at my face. They laughed at me like these cowboys. And I was like, whatever. Mm. And so so they started bringing her in for me to work with her. And I remember the first time I worked with the mayor, they like were not interested at all. Like I was in this like round pen, but they so they weren't interested. But they sat like maybe sixty meters away from the round pen, and they lined up their chairs so they could watch. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually were interested. Um, and the thing was, I like still I had no clue what I, I mean. I thought I knew what I was doing, but looking back now, I really I was just overconfident. And, but I, I rode the mare in six days. So that was like half the time I told them. And since that moment, they never said like, oh, good job, you know. They never said anything like that. But the change in attitude was like, I somehow deserved their, um, what do you call it? Respect. Yes, that's the word. And then since that day, there was never a question whether I was coming with them to help with the cows. They were just like, you're coming and you will settle the mare, you know. <laughs> and that was like, I felt accomplished, you know, it was a crazy feeling, you know. Um, so so that was that was very interesting. But, I'm, um, I'm, I'm sitting of... here just beaming, just thinking about that. That's so cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know. So that was super cool. And I have super cool pictures from Mexico as well. 
but anyway, um, so yeah, go, going back to the previous thing, um, so Maida was working in the office and I was started Googling just like horse jobs for the summer or something. And there was an ad on a German website in English saying training of wild horses in Namibia. And I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds so romantic. This is for us. This is, I'm doing this. And so I actually, that was 2015. I went to Namibia for two months because the guy, the guy was um, a German of German descent, yep. but he was actually African. Yeah, so lots, lots born of, and raised lots in Africa. of Africaners in, on that, especially in Namibia, yeah. I think. Yeah. There was a lot of Germans yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue where Namibia was. I had no clue that there's even any like white people there, like that owning farms. Like, what? <laughs> you know? So, if you guys are so <laughs> listening at home, Namibia is on the southwest coast yeah. of, of um, Africa. Africa. Yeah, above South, South Africa. Yeah, it's above South Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I got there and they took me to the farm, which was like 600 kilometers from the city. So you're talking remote. This is like next level remote. <laughs> and now, I just wanted to say that um, they, the, the, the farm, the, the owners were looking for someone to come to the farm and help them train the horses. Um, so we thought, OK, this is great. This is the opportunity we we've been waiting for. But um, and they, they really like the fact that we, there is two of us and that we are sisters because life on the farm in the middle of nowhere gets really, yeah, I don't know, all sorts of things. So they thought it's, it's great that we would have each other and that we are sisters. And then also we, we sort of were thinking, okay, this is a big move. So we're not just going to like pack our bags and leave. So that's why we sent Senka for two months to Namibia to check out the farm and see how will this actually be what we were looking for? Because I didn't want to just quit my job and, you know, go to Africa. So that's why Senka went in 2015 for two months to see if this is the place. Okay. I just wanted to give it a little bit of an introduction. So when you, when you first got there, Senka, what was your, what was your first impression of being out in the middle of nowhere in Namibia? Um, they had at that time, they had Mark and Miranda Lyon, helping them with the horses oh really so the, okay yeah so i was with them for for a month at the farm and good thing that they were there because i would be completely lost with the horses um so they actually the owner of the farm that that was the third year that they were coming to the farm to teach the son how to train these horses and can i just can i just interrupt only, you for a second there so uh mm-hmm. mark lyon is a uh a horse trainer who kind of travels all over, all over the world, very, very handy. And Mark actually has only one eye. He lost his eye. He was attacked by a zebra. He lost his eye to a zebra in Africa a number of years ago. So I don't know if you met him before or after that, but I just wanted to kind of no. say who, who Mark was. And um, Miranda, his wife, so they're not, they're not together anymore, but mm-hmm. Miranda, when I first met her, she's got that mysterious spiritual i'm not sure i don't know she kind of is all the complected i'm not sure if she's native american or not but she kind of reminds i don't know she's she's very witchy and i mean that in a in a nice way but she just has this mysterious mystique about her she's yeah she's a lovely lady Mm -hmm. um 
Well, actually, Mark lost the eye on that farm. Oh, on the really? first year when they got to Namibia, he I think he got kicked like on the third day or something. And she was left and he went back to America and she stayed on the farm by herself doing clinics and everything. It was not easy for her. I mean, it wasn't easy for him either. But so I heard the story from Mark, actually. He was kicked by a zebra, um, wasn't he? He got kicked, right? He wanted to give it treats or something because it was a pet zebra and they're the worst mm. pet ones. And because he was kind of like naughty and whatever, and he was going to give it treats, I think. And the thing just turned around and kicked him right in the eye. Oh, so and this wasn't a this wasn't a wild no. zebra that Mark's trying no. to train or something. This is the pet zebra. Yeah, very naughty pet zebra. And yeah, I forgot the name of the zebra. The zebra wasn't there when we got there okay. or I got there. So, um, but how the owner of the farm got the contact of Mark and Miranda was through Martin Black, actually. Okay, okay. So Martin Black used to come to Namibia, or he came a few times and taught all these people that were into horses. You know, he gave clinics in Namibia, which is which is super cool. And then that's how they got Mark's contact because Martin Black told the owner of the farm that Mark Lyon trains Mustangs anyways in America. So why wouldn't he come and help them with their wild horses? Right. So, so that, that's the connection. And, um, <laughs> so the farm was absolutely stunning. And that farm was actually the prettiest place I've seen in three years in Namibia, that, that farm. So it was just stunning the way they have their little, the buildings, um, fitting into the environment. They were very, architecturally savvy i would say <laughs> they really they were very good with designing you know just building things uh they have the farm has or had like 250 horses and it's a big farm it's like eighteen thousand acres or hectares or whatever uh, so the horses live outside and first time they basically see people is when they're three or four and they need to come in for training exciting <laughs> so, um crazy thing is they're scared of you you have to desensitize this horse to you he's like you have his full focus like this and it's snorting at you and you cannot come close like great so but when i was there for the first two months mark and miranda were starting them and that was like they were really fast the horses were bucking like mark just doesn't fall off i was like what the hell like what um i mean i'm just <laughs> And um, and then one of these horses, um, I was just looking from the fence. I was fence sitting. <laughs> and then Mark told me, um, come in here. And this little horse was in there. And he was like, like, catch it. I don't know. Do, you know. And I couldn't even get close. And Miranda, like the day before, was saddling this horse. And I was like, what? How? Like, what is this? What is this? And, but still, I was... I was thinking, you know, maybe we could do it, really. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I was thinking, really. Um, the cool thing was they were really into cowboy things, like this whole family was. They had proper, proper saddles, all imported from America. They had the right gear. You know, these horses, they were wild horses, but they were purposefully bred. They had paint, paint horse stallions or quarter horse stallions from South Africa. So the stallions were actually not wild, which is pretty funny. The mares were wild and the mares will just mix breed whatever they had so they actually looked pretty nice these horses you know um so everything was about horses and about you know cowboying 
Yeah, you know, I got to I got to interrupt here because I've I I've talked on the podcast before about um, manifesting things. Okay, <laughs> about if you think about something enough, it will appear. So not only do you do you, not only do you re- in this German magazine, not only do you read that they want some people to start horses in Namibia. You go to Namibia and you find that these are the you know, it's the exact tack that you would want to start a horse and it's exactly how you want to ride a horse. And it's like, how do you, how do you manifest that from Croatia? And it's, it's just a matter of <laughs> putting it out there and wanting it enough. And it, yeah, that's, that's a great manifesting it's story. True. Sorry to interrupt there. So you're just yeah. talking about the tack and stuff. Yeah, but no, but I totally agree that that's exactly what it was. I you know, you could have got to Namibia and they want you to train jumping horses Endurance saddles or whatever. Whatever. You know what I mean? That would be I mean, yeah. There's probably not many Western saddles in the whole of Africa, let alone Namibia. There's probably no Western saddles in Namibia. And you go to the probably the one place in Namibia that this guy's into the Western stuff. And he brings in Mark and Miranda every year to like like what the hell? Yeah, and Martin Black. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you don't know any of this before you go there. No, no, no. I didn't know any of this. Any of this. <laughs> oh, that's and, and their their son learned how to rope from Martin Black. So I mean, and I like. I mean, I don't rope obviously, but I like to swing the rope, and you know, so he could actually show us how to do that as well. He was really good at roping, actually. The son was. It was the 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 facilities was were great. They had the coolest round pen. You know, everything was really set up awesome, awesome. And then um, we decided to just apply for the work permit. And um, I think the owner, there's a rumor going on that the owner of the farm had to give someone in the government a bull for the favor for the work permits. <laughs> That's how. The little bit I know about Africa. how Africa works, that does not surprise me. Yeah, yeah, so I thought that was very funny. And then the following year, we actually got the work permits, and the following year, 2016 in March, packed the bags and off we went. <laughs> And I heard a rumor somewhere that you guys, there's only two of you, but you bought three plane tickets. Yeah, the, we took our Border Collie dog with us to... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, yeah, I just wanted to add to the bit where we got the work permits. Um, maybe this ties in nicely with what we were saying before about the, the war and like uncertainty and whatever. Um, because it took me a year to get this office job that I had, um, and I had it for like three years, and now we got the permits, and I I got scared because now what I'm gonna resign, and I I mean it took me a year to I was sitting at home there was no work you know they they don't wanna hire as a waitress because you have a university degree but you cannot do anything else because you don't have experience. Um, and our parents were fine with the state three times and Mexico and this and that. But when we came to them with Africa, they got properly mad. Um, and I, I mean, I, I get that. I mean, they were so worried now, like, what, I'm going to just quit my job and off we go to Africa to like have volunteer to this farm. Like, you know, they were, they were, they were really not happy with, with any of this. Um, and then we decided that if we do get the permits, then we, we have to go. Like, this is the sign, we have to go. And then we got the permits, and I was like, oh, goodness, now I need to, like, 
resign. And I remember myself, we don't like hand in notices or anything. You go in and you talk face to face to your supervisor. Um, so I remember myself sitting there on the couch, like my hands were shaking and, and sweating. And I was like, oh my goodness, what the hell am I doing? Have I lost my mind completely? Like what? But yeah, I, there was no other way for me anyways, but it was, it was quite a, yeah, quite a tough situation for me. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, I resigned and, um, yeah, we bought three plane tickets for one for the dog, because as far as we were concerned, we were leaving forever. <laughs> so we couldn't leave the dog behind. Um, um, and yeah, uh, we, yeah, we went to Namibia and we stayed on the farm for almost a year. Yeah. Training the horses. <laughs> so in my notes here, I've got you're in Namibia from uh, yeah. 2016 to 2019, which is longer than a year. So did you, you end up staying in Namibia after that, did you? Um, yeah, we did because, um, yeah, some stuff on the farm were not really all that great. And after a year, we decided the drought also, ah, uh, yeah. Also they had a severe drought. Um, the horses were skinny. They started dying, like starving and yeah, we just sat down one night and we decided, okay, maybe, maybe we, it's, it's time to leave the farm, but we also didn't really want it to go home. <laughs> um, we wanted to stay, but we didn't really know how. Um, but in those two months that Senka was there in 2015 and throughout this year, we actually made friends, even though that sounds quite crazy. Uh, if you consider how we were living, like in the middle of nowhere on a farm, but Namibian people are very inclusive and yeah, especially horse community is small. So we made friends and this one like, and everyone knows everyone. It's quite insane. Um, so one, one, one lady, um, her husband was a good friend with, uh, a lodge owner. And this lodge is one of the most famous lodges in Namibia. Um, what's it called? So she, Volvedans. It's called Volvedans. How do you spell um, that? Cause I'm going to look it up. W O L W E D A N S. Okay. I got that. Yeah. I'll, I'll look that up. And she said, no, 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 you guys cannot leave the country. I'll sort you out. Like, give me a week. And she made some calls and it turned out that at Volvedans, they have horses and they're looking for someone to, um, to like take people out on rides. So this and is a like, safari lodge. Um, it's more, um, it's a nature reserve. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's more about the nature than the animals. There's okay. not, there's yep. oryx and the gazelles and stuff, but, and a few cheetahs, but, um, there's no big game or anything like yeah. that. I mean, by big, I mean, elephants and stuff. Yeah. So Volvenus was more about the scenery. Yeah. Um, and the dunes, there's a lot, lots of dunes where, where the lodge is. Um, so yeah, we said, huh? Yes. I want to go back to the wild horses, how we actually, oh, you know what I mean? Uh, how we didn't die. <laughs> oh, we're going to, we're going to yeah. go, we're going to go back to the, the, the first year in Namibia oh, okay. at the farm here in a minute. I'm just wanting to know where we all go to. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, so yeah, we went to, to the, to the lodge and, um, for the first five or six months, they had horses that, that were rented from this guy in Namibia, doesn't really matter. 
Um, but the owner actually wanted to get his own horses. Um, so after these horses went home in October, that was now 2017, I think, we helped them buy 10 new horses. Five of them were broke, sort of. Five of them were green. And we were like, yeah, we're going to start your trail riding operation. No problem. <laughs> so we ordered the saddles from South Africa, tech from somewhere else, all these things. And um, yeah, we started five horses and restarted the other five. And we took beginners out riding. And oh, somewhere in between, I actually went to Japan for three months to learn a bit more about body control and reining. Yeah, goodness, I forgot about that. Anyway, you just you just <laughs> happened to forget that you went to Japan for three months. <laughs> just like, that's because that's we what happens when Namibia. you live an adventurous. <laughs> that's what happens when you live an adventurous lifestyle. You you forget about <laughs> things like that. So let's let's go back to when you when you two and your and your dog. What's your dog's name? Vilma. Vilma. So mm -hmm. you two and Vilma shows up in you show up at this place in Namibia. What what was your so. Uh, Maida, what was your first impression of this farm in the middle of nowhere in Namibia? Uh, um, it was so big and then... Let's look at Michelle Yahad's Markham Peterson. Ah, yeah, okay. No, so the first... Aha. Uh -huh. Let me just think about it. We can take this out. Let me just, um, let me just think about it. Um, so yeah, as we arrived, Senka was actually there already for a month and a half because I had my notice period that I needed to like work off or whatever. So Senka went month and a half before me and then I arrived with the dog. And I also needed to take care of the papers and all of that. Um, so as I arrived, um, Senka already had everything figured out. So she was like, okay, tomorrow we are going riding. And there was this guy from the States. I'm not really sure why he was there. Um, I guess he, the owner brought him over to help them with something. With no, he, so, so Mark was there to help bring Americans do the horse safaris in Namibia. That's, and that's why he was there. But he, hunting and stuff. Yeah, so hunting on the horses, whatever, because he was doing pack trip, or he still is and does pack trips in America. Ah, okay, yep. So, so they got in touch with him, brought him to Namibia to see how the whole thing works, and maybe they can now bring Americans to Namibia to hunt or something. Anyway, he was there. Yeah, it's a different Mark. His name was also Mark. Um, but I remember, yeah. so, okay, this following day we are going riding and uh, they had, Mark had three horses in the, in the like, paddocks, each horse in one paddock. And Senka was like, okay, you can take that one. No, no, Senka was like, could you please catch the gray one? He was like, yeah, sure, I mean, I can catch a horse. <laughs> and I go into the paddock and this horse starts running away from me. I cannot get close snorting ears up like that snorting at me i was like who's gonna ride this thing is this like the horse we're gonna take riding <laughs> what is this and i was like Sinka, i cannot catch this horse and she was like oh just do what we usually do you know warwick stuff and i was like okay okay i can do that i can do that so like in three minutes i had a halter on this horse but i was still thinking like what the hell is going on like who's gonna ride this horse Sinka was riding that one um and we had them all settled up and then Mark wanted to get on his horse and this horse just went off bucking and Mark falls off. <laughs> I was like, are we really going riding? <laughs> this, is, this is too much. <laughs> yeah, so Mark eventually got back on. We had a nice ride in the end. I mean, the scenery was insane, but 
the horses were just so crazy, like next level crazy. And those were riding horses. That set up the scene and and tone <laughs> for the, the whole year. year. <laughs> so, but what they weren't crazy, they were just poorly prepared for what was being asked of them. Of course, yes. no, yes, definitely, yeah. definitely. And like rushed into the riding. No, definitely, definitely. It's just, you know, there was me standing there. I've never seen anything like it. Now people are saying, oh, we're going to ride these guys. Like, what? <laughs> How do you mean ride them? <laughs> Can't even catch the one. The thing is, these horses have completely different issues than a stable horse has. Because the one that's, you know, used to people ignores you and whatever runs you over these guys you can't get close to them they're right. snorting at you they're just so focused on you like if you move your little finger like this they go like whoop you know all the radars on so <laughs> that was a whole different ball game a whole different ball game and um i guess eventually we just realized we cannot rush them into anything because ai will get seriously hurt in the middle of nowhere like it's gonna like we just that's not how we can do things. And we just went back to the beginning, start doing... With each know, horse. We, with each horse. Um, no matter if, if they were ridden before or not, they all had serious issues. It was just crazy and we felt sorry for them. Like you couldn't leave them tied up because if you, if you walk in front of them, they go berserk, they start pulling back because they're scared of you. They're so scared. They were so scared of people. And we just started from the beginning doing you know, the groundwork that we learned from watching your videos. And sometimes it would take like six months with the horse on the ground, which is a long time. And you, the problem is you just kind of, at some point, you just kind of want to get on this horse, you know, because you've been doing these things for so long. You're just like, I just want to ride you once, please. Like, you know, so that's where I learned to be patient. Like you said, you had to be so patient so patient no expectations which is so hard it's hard especially for me i'm a bit high energy and I'm fast. <laughs> that was my big lesson um it was um plus you had to get so creative we had to desensitize them to people which was great because there was two of us so like i said we could bounce off ideas of each other which is it's great it's great you have two brains thinking the same direction you know um, some stuff we did, you would laugh probably. I think everybody would just laugh. You feel silly doing these things. Um, cause for example, you have the horse on the lead rope and, you know, doing some groundwork. God forbid you trip or something. God forbid this horse is going to, you know, right. So everything, you know, that kind of stuff. And I remember <laughs> there was this one horse. I did groundwork with him for like six months and I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to ride you. So, and he was fine on the ground. And I was like, okay. Okay, so I get on, and what happens? And he's walking around the round pen. Maida has this on the video, actually. So he's walking around, and I'm like, let's trot now. Because he was, you know, totally fine. And I do, and he goes, because, and I was like, and then I was like, and I fall off, of course. And then I was, so he was scared of my voice above him. He was fine with my voice on his level, but me above him, not me just my voice, me, me saying stuff. So I would, um, so what I did was <laughs> I would get on him, I would like bend him and I would sing and I would do all sorts of stuff. 
basically desensitizing him to any sorts of noise coming from me. That kind of deal. And then eventually this horse actually, not to brag a little, why not? <laughs> um, he ended up doing um, a two-day cattle drive. Um, and I was so proud of this one. <laughs> I was very proud because this whole thing took eight months. Like, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, Horses like that, that's a little bit like that black stallion I was talking about in the beginning. Um, much longer, you know, much longer process. But the thing is, if you can take your time, eventually you get to where they're, they're as good as a horse that doesn't take as much time. And I think most horses can get to that point. You just got to go at their speed and keep things at the level that that they're comfortable with you know you I mean you got to press you know you got to stretch their comfort zone but ones like that had this one been started before yeah uh, he was yeah so you, you yeah yeah so you're you're not just like with that black stallion he was just kind of weird about things but he hadn't he didn't have I wasn't unraveling traumatic experiences from before whereas your your horse you know so that whether it's with a human or with a horse, it takes a lot longer if you've got previous bad experiences to unravel. Yeah, but I wanted to say that um, what was very interesting for me with those wild horses is that um, all of them eventually started to trust us. It was insane. They trusted us. And then you think, oh, look at him. He's so good. I can ride him outside with a, like, like just with a, a neck rope. Oh, look at me go. Like, this horse is fine. And then literally a stranger comes in and this horse, uh, this stranger cannot touch this horse. Right. So I realized they trusted us. They were not good with everything. They just trusted us so we could do stuff with them, to them, whatever. Um, but no, they were not good overall. Not that they, they needed to be. I'm just saying that that was a completely new experience to me because, you know, like sort of say, normal horses whatever that is um yeah. you know you don't have to sort of not every single person needs to gain their trust in order to touch them right you don't need to go through the whole process just so you can touch their muzzle you know it doesn't work like that and these horses were just so trusty with us i don't know yeah and then but someone see, else I comes think... in and it's just from the beginning they need to take this horse from the beginning to earn their trust yeah, think mm. about that. Think of Sanka, think about that eight months. You're not just you know, you're not just training the horse for eight mm -hmm. months. You're interacting with that horse. You are communicating your awareness of their thresholds. And I'm and I really think that that is the one of the big trust building things is 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 letting them know that you know where they're their no spot is and staying below it all the time. I just, yeah, I just think there's a, uh, yeah, that's a huge part of that. Um, so tell me, I, I'm, I love Africa. I love the wildlife in Africa. Was on this farm, was there a lot of wildlife around there? Um, just antelopes, not, not much else. Oh, they had leopards in the mountains, actually. Not that we ever saw any. Um, mm. Baboons. Baboons. Oh, yeah, they had stuff. Wait a second. <laughs> Come to think of it. Um, and also the problem with the horses was that since they were living outside in the mountains by themselves, some of them would get attacked by these wild 
predators. And there was a horse um, that had a huge hole in his neck, like the ha half of the neck was missing because he got attacked by a leopard when he was small. Um, fortunately, they found him somewhere in the field and like brought him in and doctored him. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, they, they actually didn't know how many horses they had because, you know, leopards would get them and stuff like that. Did you end up, did you train that horse? Uh, we did, even though that one was a full quarter horse, so you can totally tell the difference in the, like, personality. He was much calmer mm -hmm. and way easier than the half-breads they had. That one ended right. up being sold, actually. Really? You know, you just think about, you know, you just, you just think about the instinct of a horse that hasn't had anything happen yeah. to them yeah. of something on their back when they buck and run and stuff that's that's an instinct because that's where predators attack us from and then you have a horse that actually has been attacked by a predator because they'll yeah. you know they'll pull them down by the just in front of the withers there like they do it with wildebeest and all sorts of things you know um imagine trying to sever the spinal cord but you know having that sort of trauma on top of built-in instinct and then having to teach that horse to be ridden under saddle a bit that was um yeah a bit of undoing right there yeah yeah, yeah and they were so so protective of their legs because these animals come for their legs and their belly mm -hmm. they were so protective of the legs and, and the belly so that's something you were that, that you never basically fix that and you shouldn't maybe because that's how they survive right out there yep yeah, there was. We fell off a lot for <laughs> no reason. Like you know, when you say they just started bucking, but literally they would just start bucking. Right. No, it was but a huge learning curve for us. Yeah. Because as Senka mentioned, no. we thought we have it all figured out, and we really didn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you take one horse, then you like learn with this one, then you fall off, then you take another one, then you learn with this one then you don't fall off, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. <sighs> yeah, mm -hmm. we were very gullible yeah. and very, I don't know. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we are here to tell the story. <laughs> Do you guys have any crazy wildlife stories from out there? I... We had an oryx coming to our room. Huh? No, but once we took the horses, we, we tracked... Um, we put them in the truck or lorry as they call it and we took them to another farm and on this farm they had rhinos and all sorts of stuff my dad didn't I was it was oh, yeah. before my dad got to Namibia and we rode we like chased the giraffes around and stuff and it was really fun when it stopped being fun was when we got to the rhinos and a rhino <laughs> apparently is faster than a horse and they can't see they're very aggressive and the photo shoot was pretty amazing but I was I was literally afraid for my life like my palms were sweating I could feel my horse's heart boom boom right boom. like the horse yeah. horse would shake but my my heart was going was beating as hard <laughs> so and these things were facing us and there was a baby that was super no nosy so he started coming up to us and then I were like what if the mom decides that we were a threat like then what and then a friend from Germany we made friends in the meantime so her horse kind of jumped sideways and she fell on his neck and we were like and we all like <gasps> stopped breathing 
because we didn't know if she was going to fall off now or not. What if she falls off? Like, it's game over, you know. So after spending a year at that, that first place where you're training the horses and then you, you ended up at this other place, Bolden Vanas, is that how you say it? Bolvedans. <laughs> yeah. I just looked it up. It's beautiful there. Yeah. And it is. so, and you spent a couple of years at that place? Um, two, almost two years. Yeah. And yeah, how was how was your experience there? Did you enjoy that? Um, well, if you compare it to the farm, it was a completely different. I I mean, in my mind, we had two Namibias. One was on the farm, and the other one was at the lodge because, like, the experience was totally different. First of all, on the farm, we were by ourselves a lot, and at the lodge, there was another hundred people working. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, uh, yeah. So our social life got really busy i guess so so which one did you prefer did you prefer the solitude on the on the farm or did you prefer the other one as far as the social aspect goes um then i i preferred the lodge but horse part i preferred i preferred um the farm well the problem at the lodge was that horses were just one of the activities activities that they were offering and it was very difficult for us to explain to the management that, you know, horses are alive, they have certain needs and all of these things. So it was like a constant struggle um, to sort of push for what we want for the horses instead of what they think they should, like how we should do it. Um, um, so that part was better on the farm because the farm was all about the horses. Yeah. So you sent me some pictures or video maybe of riding out in the middle of nowhere in Namibia. Was that on the farm or was that on the uh, at the lodge? That was uh, the lodge. Oh, okay. That was at the lodge. Yeah. Was the, Okay, actually I don't know. I think no, no, it was at the lodge, the one without anything, right? Bridleless and is that the one? Yeah, you sent me like a uh, like you're riding a horse bridleless with maybe a neck rope and you're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that was the lodge then. I guess it was the lodge. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> we rode them like that at the farm as well. So I don't oh, know okay. which... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But what I was going to say about the lodge, the good thing was... Um, so we kind of figured the whole training thing a bit more out. Because now we had more experience and that was... Um, I guess we took it to the next level i would say and that that's that that was great that was great for us to just you know start teaching them some more advanced things and whatnot um so yeah that, that was um basically the lodge what i think we got from the lodge the most mm. mm-hmm, in regards mm-hmm. to horses and so you said the lodge uh also did not have much in the way of wildlife Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And the reason just I oryx. ask is just Oryx. Um, the reason I ask is because when I was in probably South Africa, I think I had people tell me that if you really want to go and see the big five, go to Namibia. Namibia has the big five. There's a lot less tour. It's cheaper. There's a lot less tourists there. It's did you, so. Did you guys get to go and uh, have a look around and see some of the wildlife while you were there? Well, not in Namibia. I think. It, 
they might might be talking about up north. We were more in mm. the middle of the country, towards the south. Yeah. But Maida went on a safari with then boyfriend and his family to Botswana, and that's when she saw a bunch of things like lions and that's elephants yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So how did how did you like the safari in Botswana? Um, it was insane because I thought Namibia is remote. But boy, Botswana is just next level remote and rural. Botswana is so rural. I mean, you know, you have a map and then they said it's like state highway number, whatever. And it's actually a sand road, one track sand road. And that's a state highway. I was like, oh my goodness. And then you actually need to like move to the side if there is traffic, incoming traffic. Like, okay, this is, I don't know, there's something wrong with this picture. Um, but no, I loved it. It was awesome. But just the ruralness, um, I was I was pretty amazed by that because you don't get that. I, I guess Namibia, Namibia is big and remote and some like towns are very far removed. But Botswana is just, you know, we were at the, at the gas station. There was like a herd of cows coming through the gas station. And that's like normal. I was like, you don't see that in Namibia. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it was it was quite cool. And the camping and they call it dry camping, where you actually yeah. basically just get like a patch of dirt where you can pitch your tent. So you need to come prepared. And luckily, um, these people are African, so they knew how to do it. They came like all prepared and kitted out. But I don't know how Europeans do it. I mean, honestly, I don't know. You just come from Europe and you're going to do some camping in Africa. Oh, you won't. No, you're just going to, I don't know. I don't know. Struggle is what you're going to do. Yeah, but I think for me, you, you've got to be thing... prepared for that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was your experience in Africa, but there, you're so in touch with nature there. Yeah. Everything's about nature and I loved it. I loved it. And also the local people, they take time for things. They to admire the sky and the stars. They take time every day, or maybe not every day, but a, lo a lot of times in the week just to go and watch the sunset. They take their drinks, they sit on the dune or even in in Windhoek, which was the capital of Namibia, they go on the roof and sit and watch the sunset. And you everything is so much slower and so much more <laughs> you know, cut out for just normal people it's it's how it should be slower and you know we need we should be able to take time to enjoy these kind of things and in africa it's all about that and i loved it i loved it and i i really miss that i miss it you miss yeah. the sundowners and just you're in nature all the time it's so outdoorsy and it's yes um, okay they have like they have a lot of sunshine there as well, so they can actually be outside, but still it's so much more natural to what humans should, I mean, at least me, I would like to live like that. Um, be outside yeah, I'm, um, I'm listening to a very amazing book right now by Gabor Mate called The Myth of Normal. And, you know, he's, he's basically talking about all the ways we are, you know, the myth of normal. So how what we all consider normal is pretty abnormal for us. You know, the way we evolved, you know, up, up until the, you know, domestication of animals and when after we left the hunter-gatherer stage, you know, we now raise children 
in a way that is actually at odds with our how, how our nervous systems is supposed to how our nervous system is supposed to develop and it's it's just a fascinating book i mean my neck i think is sore from just nodding while i'm listening <laughs> to this book it's like yeah it's it's pretty amazing and it's 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 like the culmination of everything i've read and thought about in quite a long time it's like it's all in this one book so yeah, pretty amazing. Um, I might start asking you guys your questions. And so as you listeners know, I send my guests uh, a list of questions that I borrowed from Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors book. <laughs> and uh, Senka and Maida have both chosen three questions. So Senka, I might start with you. And you're, the question you chose was, what have you changed in the past five years that has helped shaped who you have become? I got more aware of how things actually work and that we actually create our own experiences. And that, that has improved my life immensely. <laughs> and for me, there was a big gap between reading and understanding these things. So the theory um, is kind of easy to understand, but actually applying it for me took um, some years. <laughs> Um, so I guess that, that would be the biggest thing that I've changed. I started doing more meditations and, you know, actually reaching out to people for help when I couldn't deal with something by myself and I couldn't overcome something by myself. And I, I can, I can see the results in my everyday experience, if you will, and physical reality, <laughs> I suppose. And the... The result is that I'm, I, I think I'm more present in what's going on daily. Just like, you know, washing dishes, I'm trying to kind of really be there and just wash the dishes <laughs> kind of deal. Mm. So that has changed in the last five years of really starting, you know, doing these things yeah, on a daily once basis. You, once you start doing that and you kind of see that, the changes within yourself, and I think a lot of times the changes are just your perception of things and your awareness of things, then you kind of, I, I, I don't know, it, it tends to make you go, okay, if that much can change from doing that, how much more can it change? Yeah, it's pretty exciting when you start doing that sort of stuff, especially because we spend so, long, so much of our life not being aware of those things, and once you start being aware of that and you feel the changes from it, like yeah like you said you are the creator of your own reality uh your second question oh i love this one what is your relationship like with fear um well i i was absolutely terrified before any of my travels <laughs> and before we went to africa i literally thought i was losing my mind like what are you doing you know, why can't you just have a normal life like everybody else? Mm. But even before that, I realized that if I am scared of something, then I will definitely have to do it. If I'm scared, I'm doing it. Um, so we eventually did go into Africa. Um, also with this one, I kind of wanted to touch on something. And it's something I kind of only fairly recently realized. And it is how actually horses play the big part in my life in facing fear and how it actually helped me overcome it. And I don't know if 
you know, I probably not, but two years ago, Croatia was hit by two strong earthquakes. And I was I was at home for one of them, for the second one, for the first one I was I was not in Croatia. And how strong were the earthquakes? Um the one that I've experienced was like six point four on the Richter scale. Cow. Yeah. Yeah. And and so if you haven't experienced one before, it's it's a pretty crazy feeling. And I remember it, this one lasted for 20 seconds, which doesn't seem that long, but it, was, it, it felt like eternity. And I remember the house was swinging left and right. <laughs> and I was basically just waiting for the ground to open and I fall into the eternal darkness and that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was scared and it was kind of a primal fear that I haven't experienced before. And I also had a bit of like PTSD afterwards, but I would like okay. when I would start hearing the noises that resembled the you know what the earthquake like the, the the rattling of things in the house would sound like i would just kind of stop and be like is it happening again <laughs> you know but the thing was um i i can say i recovered pretty quickly and i was actually surprised to learn that even weeks after a lot of people were still scared to go back to their apartments and some were even taking <clears throat> pills to help them deal with the th- experience some even permanently moved out of the city, like they, they moved. <laughs> um, so I'm not saying this was the only reason why I was okay, but I realized being scared is not really an unfamiliar feeling for me. And I actually, I've been scared so many times riding horses or working with horses in the past 24 years that, you know, it just wasn't, it was a familiar feeling. Um, and here I'm not talking about a fear that, you know, what will people say or whatever. This is you being scared for your, like, physical body. Yep. And, you know, um, so it's a different kind of fear. Mm. And, you know, so I think getting out of your comfort me personally, getting out of my comfort zone <laughs> so many times in the past years mm, um, actually helped me deal with this trauma um and i didn't get obviously involved with horses to get out of my comfort zone it was actually quite the contrary Mm, but it kind of ended up being the byproduct of it and the thing is i only recently became aware of it that it might have something to do with me overcoming this experience of the earthquake and people you know, people don't really get out of their comfort zones that much. I mean, I'm not judging anyone. I'm just stating what yeah. I observed. Um, so once they actually do, and it was definitely something no one could control, they just didn't know how to get back into, you know, to calm down <laughs> because it just doesn't happen to them that many times, that often. And I, I think just, you know, being around horses helped me overcome this experience, which was quite interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so you've exposed yourself yourself to smaller scary experiences a lot, and then when you have a bigger mm-hmm. scary experience, you can come back <laughs> down from it. It sounds very similar to my wife Robin's story about the panic attack on the plane, sort of thing, you know. Um, and recently, Robin also did a podcast about her experience with the the ice baths. She's been taking ice baths for a while, and it was one of those things she thought she could never do or would want to do. And once she started doing it, it's like a little victory every time she does it. And 
I think in the podcast she mentioned that she's had some experiences recently that should have scared her a lot and <coughs> the experience was a whole lot easier because she's been exposing herself to things that scare her and coming out the other side and being successful. And I think, you know, like that that eight months you spent with that horse, getting that horse trusting enough to ride, there was a lot of that in there. You're always pushing their comfort zone without having them go completely outside their comfort zone. Um, can I just ask, Maida, were you in Croatia for the earthquake? No, I was not. No. Neither of those two earthquakes? No, no neither. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I was just no. going to ask you about so, your experience with that. No, no. <laughs> I've exp you know, we live on top of the San Andreas Fault here in California. Like where we are, the town we live is, there used to be a, a pub downtown called the Earthquake Brewery because we, we you know, the the claim to fame used to be earthquake capital of the world where we, in this town that we we live in and we have earthquakes here every day like you know little ones a lot and every once in a while we'll get a little one but i've not experienced a big one knock on wood but um yeah it is it is not unlike uh we used to live in a uh when rob and i first got married we lived in a trailer house and so it's not very big and the washing machine was gone one day and like the, the place is kind of rocking a little bit. Robin's like, we have an earthquake because it sounds, it feels very similar. Okay. So, uh, back to you, Senka. What is your favorite quote? Um, I think it would be your personality is your destiny. And that one is quite self-explanatory. <laughs> and I guess it kind of goes hand in hand with if you think you can and if you think you can't, you are right <laughs> and yeah i was just going to look up a quote i wrote down <clears throat> here we go so you just said your personality is your destiny and this is a quote from the book i've been listening to the the uh the myth of normal by gabor mate and it's listen to this it says what we call the personality traits in addition to reflecting genuine inborn temperaments and qualities, also expressed the way people as children had to accommodate their emotional environment. They reflect much that is neither inherent or immutable, and immutable means unable to be changed about a person. So mm -hmm. they reflect much that is neither inherent nor immutable about a person, no matter how closely identified he or she is to them. Nor are they character faults, although they may cause us difficulty now, they begin as modes of survival. So part of our personality is the way people as children had to accommodate their emotional environment. I thought that was a really good definition of mm -hmm. personality. He said, so in addition to reflecting genuine inborn temperaments and qualities, so there's the thing we're born with or the, yeah. you know, that's the nature part there's the nature versus nurture that's the nature part but the nurture part is the way people as children had to accommodate their emotional environment i thought that was a really good way of putting that that's the so part of our personality is the way we had to as children negotiate our emotional environment and you said you know what have you done in the last five years that's changed how you become and you said working on yourself and what you're actually doing is you're working through some of that, which means at the yeah. end of that, yeah. your quote unquote personality, parts of your personality are actually different, which means your personality is not you. It's the way you've been shaped by 
mm-hmm. the experiences you've had and when you and especially traumatic experiences if you don't work through them they get stuck in you and when you work through them you you at the other side you're like oh i have a different personality than i had before which means that personality was not me that personality was the way i was showing up based on unresolved stuff that's happened to me and yeah that's i think that's the work the working on yourself you come out the other side and you're like i'm not i'm not who i thought i was i'm not i'm not who who i thought i was was who i thought i was but who i who i thought i was was actually just cultural conditioning from society you know it's funny you said when you decided to go to africa you said i i I can't do what normal people do and i had just talked about the title of that book the myth of normal what those normal quote unquote normal people do is that normal or is that the way society has has conditioned us to think is normal and actually what you were doing and following your passions and your dreams and getting out there and living life is that the real normal you know what i mean yeah yeah just like I think the other one, if you think you can and you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I love that quote. Which that's, is that's, pretty cool. Yeah. That's a very good it's one. pretty cool. Okay, mm-hmm. Maida, let's get to your questions here. Uh, okay. what you, the one you chose was what book you recommend most? And that's not necessarily your favorite book, but a book that if people asked you what book they should read, it's the one you suggest. Um, so that book would be, um, I don't know, have you heard of it? It's called The Presence Process, written by Michael Brown. Um, this is not my favorite book by any means, but it is definitely one that I think people should read. Um, where, where, did you, where did you find out about The Presence Process? Um, so we had this, like, a, I don't know what you would you call this lady. She's, she's, a, she's like a, our therapist. I don't know if that's what you call these people. <laughs> Um, so she's the one when we were living for Namibia, coach. I think it's life coach, it's life yes, coach. Exactly. It's life coach. <laughs> yeah. So when, when we were leaving for Namibia, she told us about the book as something that we can take with and like, because we didn't have good internet, she works online, but we didn't have good internet and obviously we couldn't work with her in person. So she told us about the book as something that we can like read and like something to help us. So this is how we got the book (laughs) you know because i have read that book because on the podcast somewhere in the podcast i've talked about oh actually i had one of the podcast guests i had was joshua wenner and uh, joshua wenner was a guy i went to a three-day what was called a men's emotional resilience retreat a number of years ago and our homework from that retreat was to read that book and do the work in that book so there's the you know the 20 minute meditation every day where you sit and you you breathe i am in this here now is that how it goes is that is that what it's oh i don't know yeah there is it it does Mm -hmm. Uh, this moment matters i think that is the first one no 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 you it's four beats or something yeah you're right you're right I am here. Oh, you mean the breathing? Sorry, sorry, I got the breathing. But confused. as you yeah, breathe sorry. in, you're thinking, "I yeah. am," yes, and exactly. as you breathe out, in this, and as you breathe in, here now, and you're. It's mm-hmm. like a mantra, and you do the meditation. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. keep saying that over and over. What I found when I first started doing that is my skin would crawl, like I couldn't sit still. I just had the. It's like I was itchy all over. Itchy. This, yes. 
um, and I think it's just being in your own body. In your, I think that's your body's yeah. uh, reaction to, or your, you know, your 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 ego's reaction to no, I don't want to be in my body. I want to, I want to think about something. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I can't remember if I actually talked about that book in. So I did a podcast called the uh, Books That Have Influenced Me. And I'm just huh. thinking I may have missed that one. So I'm going to do a round two of that because I've read a lot of books since then. Uh, that was a couple of years ago that I did that podcast. But, yeah, that's that's if that book wasn't in the first podcast, it'll definitely be in the second one. In the second. Yeah, Great so that's book. the book. Yeah, that's wow. the book. Wow, yeah. Very, and you know very, it. Very that's even, even better. Yeah. And I, I thought, I think I know this book, and I just looked it up, and, yes, that's the I, the cover's kind of purpley. And, that's yeah, that's the book I've got. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Maida, what accomplishment are you most proud of? Um, it's it's actually um, Namibia, but not in a sense. Okay, I'm just gonna explain in what sense I see that okay. as an accomplishment. Um, so we touched on like the history of the country a bit at the beginning. Um, and we the also history of touched Croatia on how, or Namibia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Croatia. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and. Um, how our parents actually got mad when we said that we we're going to leave for Africa. Um, and also I was more into the system, if you would call it like that, than Senka, because I had a job and actually had it for three years. And I could really feel that I'm like getting in a rut because I was not happy. I knew that this cannot be my life. I really wanted to, you know, be a cowgirl and I really needed to get that out of my system. Um, but then on the other hand, like just the, the atmosphere in the country is not um, the one you have in America. Oh, actually, I'm going to like divert here. I don't know if you heard of Teal Swan. She's like a guru or also life coach. I, I don't know how you call these people. So anyway, she came to, she's, she's American, and she came to Budapest a month ago, and she did one of her workshops. And at one point, she she said that atmosphere in in Budapest, meaning Hungary, is one of chronic disappointment. And I was like, and we looked at each other, Senka and I, and we were like, oh my goodness, that's that's the atmosphere we have in Croatia. It's not like of one like chasing the American dream and everything's possible. Oh no, it's of chronic disappointment. That's the one. She like nailed it. So like living in a chronic disappointment environment since you were born and this is being like put into your head daily, you need to work hard, earn nothing, this is your life, dreams, I mean, no one follows dreams, <laughs> like, that's not how you live your life. Um, yeah, so just like being able to pull myself out of that life, I guess, and, and mm -hmm. mindset yep. is what I... It's, yeah, I, I see that as my biggest accomplishment. And after that, everything was much easier. You know, traveling, oh, I'm going to go to somewhere else and do something else. I'm going to go here now and do whatever. Everything got much easier for me after that, after like just like pulling myself out of the whole setup. Yeah. Yeah, earlier on when you were talking about making the decision to go to Africa, um, one of you two was saying, you know, it's kind of scary and whatever, but it's it's one of those things that it's it's just the, it's the whole fear thing. Like you're afraid of doing it, but once you do it, you're like, oh my goodness, that like yeah, 
and and as the saying says, you know, you're you're you know everything you want in life lies just outside your comfort zone. You know, like you've got to. Oh, definitely. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was interesting? Yeah. So, what was the term she said about Hungary? The um, uh, she said chronic disappointment. Chronic disappointment, and so. You two will, will totally understand this, but a few years ago I was doing a clinic in Australia and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was doing a clinic in Australia and there was a lady from South Africa in the clinic and we went to dinner that night and I ended up sitting next to her. And I said, oh, so how do you like Australia? And she said, ah, oh, the energy, the energy's different here. And I thought she meant in a good way, like, you know, Australia's got this beachy, cool vibe sort of thing. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, there's just, there's just less of it. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, when I go back to South Africa, when I get off the plane, there's an energy in the air. And I'm like, and what do you put that down to? She goes, oh, that's easy. Every human and animal in South Africa knows today's the day I could die. Yeah. Insane. Jeez. <laughs> you know, insane. We, you know what I mean? Like, we almost you're almost not living life if you don't know today's <laughs> the day I could die. You know what I mean? We, we live in such a, you mm -hmm. know, we can go to the grocery yeah. store for food and, and yeah. you're uh, so yeah, comfortable. Yeah, yeah. We are so comfortable. And, and, and like, everything is about, comfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And think about, um, Senka, when you said the earthquake and you had that, you had that sensation that am I r about to die right now? What was the feeling like on the other side of that? Did you feel more alive? Oof. It was, I don't know. It was so intense. In this, It's pretty intense, isn't it? It just shook me out of existence. I don't know. It was, it took me a while to kind of, I was like this on the edge for like hours afterwards. I couldn't come down and I just needed to talk, blah, 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 you know, about what happened. You have to get it out of you. So you just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. You talk. Um, yeah. And, and that's, and that, but, but that's, the, that's that. So I've, I've had, I've mentioned it on the podcast, I think with Jane Pike, I've had a couple of, oh, let's call them spiritual experiences recently to where I really got to contemplate my own mortality, like, be, like, like, look at it, look at in the face instead of like pretending it's all good and I'm never going to die. I kind of came, not that I had an experience where I was going to die, but I came face to face a couple of times and it's like, holy shit, that's scary as hell. And yeah, it's, yeah, it is a, an interesting thing to think of. I've, I've actually had an email from someone the other day who listened to that podcast and she sent me a um oh some things to listen to by a so he's got a, this guy's got a youtube channel and his name is adyashanti a d y a s h a n t i and he is an american buddhist monk but she gave me some stuff of his to listen to about uh death so yeah, I might I might actually um, send you a link to that later mm -hmm. on. But yeah, yeah, it's very very interesting stuff. Um, so, Maida, I got one more question for you. What quality do you admire in other people? Um, yeah, I thought a lot about that one, and 
it comes down to everything I would pick actually comes down to self-awareness. And especially, like I said, there, there is two types of people. So one type is that understands, but they don't really live by it. And then the second type is the type that actually lives by it. Um, and why I am um, just... Um, and I, I admire that because I know what it takes to look at yourself for what you really are. And that is that we are not perfect, right? <laughs> um, and it also means not to be a victim. And it's not easy to look at your life and see that you created it and that whatever is happening to you, that you're sort of a vibrational match for it, good or bad. <laughs> um, so I really admire people that think like that and that are really um, sort of willing to take the steps um, and not just blame other people for their bad luck or whatever it is that it's happening to them. So, yeah, this sort of is it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so what are you guys up to these days? You're obviously, you're back in Croatia. What are you guys doing now? I am, I work for an English guy and I write, I write articles for his websites. And I don't, I just occasionally ride a horse of this lady but um nothing with horses at the moment i guess i'm i'm looking for another idea like i had before like starting a tourist operation i'm looking for that and i know it's not going to be anything like that but um i'm kind of i guess i'm regrouping <laughs> and just enjoying my friends at home and which are amazing people i'm i appreciate them so much and so yeah, this is it. Plus, this job gives me... It's a remote job. So, like I said, I could go to America for three months like I did. Or I could spend the whole summer at the coast like I did this summer. Um, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> but you still you still got it out there that you still want to do more stuff with horses? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just need to find a, a good enough way for me. So, living on a remote farm somewhere or training or working for other people I don't want to do that anymore um, I need to find a balance and um, I would be it would be ideal if I could have my own horse um, so we'll see I know it, it will come I'm not worried I miss it I do miss it um, but um, I just it will come when it needs to I will you know get the inspiration or the idea so yeah Okay, well, if anybody listening to this has got an idea that uh, <laughs> for for Senka, just email me and I'll I'll um, hook you up with the email. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, Maida, you two are back in Croatia. What are you doing these days? Yeah, I um I was thinking for quite a while what a, what it is that I want to do, and I realized I want to have an online job so I could just take my computer and go anywhere. So I sort of rerouted my career to digital marketing, and that that's what I that's what I do now. Yeah. Are you self-employed or you work for someone? I have have. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have a couple of clients of my own, and then I also work for this guy in Belgium. Okay. 
Um, so yeah. you both can can do the remote thing, like you could be anywhere and. Yeah, yeah, which was sort of the whole point. Same as saying as not doing anything with horses at the moment, but it's not over. I know it's not. It's just like <laughs> in the regrouping phase. <laughs> okay, well there we have another one. So if anybody who's listening has an idea <laughs> for Maida, you can uh, you can email me and I'll I'll give you her email too. Um, this has been great chatting with you two girls. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and sharing your story and what I. Yeah, I just, I just love the fact that everybody that's kind of adventurous like you guys, you, you have a very similar outlook on things and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's very, very refreshing to, to see and it's, it's fun to chat with you guys. So thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having us. This one's an absolute pleasure and um, thanks for making this world a Thank you better so much. place. <laughs> thanks for being a part of the Journey On podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 850 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.